0: If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing, integrity matters. Right now, though, it is time for a Tuesday with Taylor Eldridge from the Wichita Eagle. He's brought to you by You Build It Wichita with your homes in your hands. Customers save 20% or more on their dream home. Call or text 316-260-2044. That is 316-260-2044. Taylor, glad to have you back on the show. Lots of stuff going on with Wichita State Athletics. You have baseball officially kicking things off with Brian Green leading the charge. Wichita State softball getting a big win. Heck, the women's basketball basketball team got a marquee win this past weekend Wichita State men's basketball, however, wrapping up a trip to North Carolina with a loss to Charlotte. Wichita State still having those major road issues, 72-61 being the final score. It at least looked like a step forward after the game that we saw beforehand against East Carolina, but still we're talking about a loss and we're talking about Wichita State being winless in conference play on the road, what was the number one thing that stood out to you with this game against Charlotte?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it was just the the start. You know, uh, after a disappointing loss to East Carolina, you figured WSU would be kind of fired up to you know get back on the right track, and uh, that's just not what we saw. We saw more of the the same. Um, you know, just lack of execution, a little poor effort mixed in there, and they fall behind. 17 to four after that I thought WSU played relatively well you know I guess give them credit for showing some form of resilience to not just roll over Uh, you know they they cut it all the way down to six after trailing by as many as 16 Uh, and there were still you know seven minutes left in that game so they they were once again in it but you know they just dug themselves in a 13 point hole right off the bat with uh, you know what I thought was yeah just you know overall just poor effort and uh, you know they they met they missed some open shots but uh you know for the most part you know foul. i guess the the number one thing on the scouting report was do not foul do not put these guys on the line and wsu comes out and fouls three of the first five possessions charlotte gets you know seven free throws in the first three minutes of the game so that part is i'm sure aggravating to the coaching staff who you know hammers at home hammers at home and then uh, the players go out and, uh, you know, don't execute that. So, yeah, I mean, it was disappointing in that regard with the start. But, you know, the, there are positive, there are, you know, some good things that they did those last, you know, 28 minutes in the game um, where I thought they showed, you know, signs of life and showed you know signs of competing.
0: Well, signs of competing, isn't this another sign? They lose by 11 and Colby Rogers played 17 minutes in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, two of those fouls early came with Colby Rogers, so it was just like a nightmare scenario because, uh, you know, not only are you putting Charlotte on the line, which is how they win games, but, you know, two early fouls on your best shooter, your best scorer, and then they play the final 17 minutes of the first half without Colby Rogers, And uh, that was, yeah, that was a tough pill to swallow early. And uh, it clearly affected him, you know, when he came back in the second half. You know, he was averaging like 36, 37 minutes a game in conference play. And, uh, you know, he's used to having a rhythm. He's used to having the ball in his hands, being in a flow at that point. And, uh, you know, coming out of halftime, he just didn't have that. And uh, that was the first game all season where he did not make a three-pointer. His uh, streak came to an end. And, uh, you know, one of those was even an air ball late. So it was pretty clear that he – just didn't have that same flow, that early foul trouble, just really derailed the game for him and,
0: and the Shockers. Taylor Eldridge, our guest here on The Pulse, he's brought to you by Build at Wichita. Wichita State's now 2-11 and in the AAC. It's been a tough season, to say the least, for first-year head coach Paul Mills. They do return for a couple of home games this week. And Taylor, I just got done reading your your article you went ahead and told everyone, told the public that there was a meeting that took place recently with this Wichita State team. I guess we'll see what type of results will come of it, which coming up, they do have some games in which they could potentially win and maybe kind of get back in rhythm heading into the AAC postseason tournament what are some of the things you're hearing about this Wichita State men's basketball program, especially with that closed-door meeting? What can this really do for Wichita State?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's an opportunity with the the schedule down the stretch. You know, they're playing four of the bottom, I think, six teams in the conference. Uh, three of those games come at home, you know, uh, starting Wednesday. You know, those final three home games are three games that Wichita State should win, and uh you know the road uh issues i mean that's uh that's kind of just uh you know one of those things where you know they've come up on the wrong end of a lot of you know uh, 50-50 games you know they have given them ch- themselves a chance and uh you know probably four of those games and they just uh you know haven't come up with uh, the winning plays down the stretch so yeah i mean i think the the meeting was more that was like more paul mills you know he talked about that on his uh uh radio show on monday so i was just kind of relaying what he said and he said that you know it kind of was just to, uh, you know uh make sure everyone's on the same page you know going forward these last five regular season games and and uh, getting ready for the conference tournament you know he said he was disappointed in how the team responded after the home game against florida atlantic where they pushed them to overtime uh he thought the team would be like man okay we're close uh, let's get back to practice, you know, let's dial in. And, and he said that wasn't the case. You know, they had two poor practices leading up to that East Carolina game. And then the East Carolina game, you know, they played poorly. And they, uh, you know, lost that one by double digits. They trailed the whole second half by double digits. So he said that kind of carried over. He thought the effort was better for the most part in Charlotte, but just still overall, you know, he knows it's tough losing. And, uh, you know, in a season where, you know, it's obviously not gotten the way anyone envisioned it, uh, but, you know, he wants to make sure they're all on the same page, pulling in the same direction. He said the the meeting, uh, you know, accomplished that. He, he thought it was a positive, you know, a constructive meeting. He thinks that the buy-in is still there from the players. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. So, uh, like I said, you know, they can build some momentum here late in the season uh, just with the schedule. You know, if they take care of business at home, that's three wins right there. And then maybe they steal one on the road, which would be their first road win. So. Uh, you know, there there is a possibility, but really, you know, their focus should just be, you know, uh, getting the 10th place because, you know, uh, if they're in the bottom four, you're playing on the first day of the conference tournament, you're playing on Wednesday, and then you got to win five in five days, which is basically impossible, uh, you know, especially on a team like this where, you know, they don't have a ton of depth. So, you know, to give themselves a chance, and I know, you know, WC fans are probably like, roll their eyes and like, how much of a chance do they really have? You know, honestly, you know, probably – not very high, but uh, they do, you know, just give yourself a chance to make a Cinderella run and to do that, you know, you got to get to 10th place and avoid that very first day of the conference tournament. So if they can get, avoid the bottom four. And like I said, you know, the good news is that they play a lot of these bottom teams. So they kind of, you know, kind of control their destiny in a sense because uh, you know, they can beat teams and uh, move themselves up the standings and uh, make sure those other teams stay at the bottom. So, uh, that's the goal, I think, for WSU is to get to 10th or 9th and uh, give yourself the chance in Fort Worth. And uh, like I said, I know the, the chances are, are, you know, <laughs> minuscule, but, you know, this team has shown that they can compete, uh, you know, with teams. They haven't shown they can win uh, and finish out when, you know, let alone, you know, p- uh, putting four together in four straight days. But, you know, you can talk yourself into at least giving yourself a chance and, and ending the season on, uh, you know, somewhat of a high note after it's been a long, rough, you know, uh, January and February. So I think uh, that's their focus uh, these last, you know, three weeks.
0: Why has Wichita State been such a bad team on the road? Why has that been the case? Is it maybe college basketball just in general? Is it the fact that there are a bunch of new faces? What do you make of Wichita State's road struggles this season?
1: Yeah, like I said, man, they're they're there in a lot of these games. It's not like they're getting, you know, blown out, you know, left and right. Uh that has happened at some points and like I said, the East Carolina game is not a good effort. Did not give themselves a chance to win that game. But you know, Charlotte, that's uh, you know, uh near the top of the conference and that's a six point game with uh seven minutes left. And you know, they uh and that's after you dig yourself in a huge hole early. So, you know, they're they're not far away. They're not as bad as their record says, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you keep coming up short, uh, you know that that record does kind of reflect on you know that there is something missing, and uh, I think it's just you know down the stretch of these close games, uh, th- they just tend to to not be able to execute the details and you know do those little things that you know winning teams uh, do er- uh, early and often and uh, consistently. And uh, I wrote my last story. It feels like you know they play like 20 20 average minutes where they're you know they can play teams even they have you know about you know I think it was like eight minutes really good where it's like okay we can you know we can beat good teams uh, you know there are stretches where they look really good but then there's like these 12 other minutes that are just disastrous that, that not only outdo the good or like negate the good but they completely outdo it and it's just like it sends them, in entirely the different direction they just have not been able to uh cut down on those disastrous minutes those disastrous possessions and uh you know you look back in the Charlotte game you know multiple times where you know they'll uh, they'll have a fast break they miss a layup goes the other way boom it's like a 3 or a 2 the other way it's just those little 4 point 5 point swings they add up over the course of the game and it seems like WSU's been on the wrong end of that more times than not. So, I mean, I think that's the, the case where it's like they, there's not much separating them, but, you know, uh, there is enough where, uh, you know, they just keep coming up empty at the end of these close games on the road.
0: Taylor Aldridge, our guest from the Wichita Eagle, he's brought to you by u at Wichita. Fortunately for Wichita State, Shockers, yes, are back at home, but the main thing is Tulsa is just 1-7 on the road this year, and it was a team that Wichita State led by double figures now we all know what happened after that point. Wichita State ended up losing the game to Tulsa. But hey, as you brought up, these are opportunities for Wichita States with a game coming up on Sunday against Temple. But let's take a look at the Tulsa game coming up tomorrow. What do the shockers have to do differently this time around to get the win against the Golden Hurricane?
1: Yeah, I think free throws are once again gonna be a big part of this one. Uh, you know, that that was the emphasis that first game and uh, you know, they fouled late, uh, so it's not as bad as it sounds, but, like, there's a 24-3 to 3 free throw disparity. Uh, but, you know, before the late game fouling, I think they saw it 18 or 16. So, still, you know, WSU puts a lot of pressure on the rim. They take a lot of their shots in the paint, and uh, it just seems like that does not translate to foul calls. You know, they are last in the American Conference and conference play. And free throw rate, it just seems like uh, none of these guys can get to the line very consistently, and uh, you know they are pretty good. You know at uh, avoiding fouls. You know they're number one on defensive foul rate. Uh, but there are there have been games where you know it kind of just pops up, and uh, especially against Tulsa, which is very very good at getting to the foul line, and they have guards that that kind of you know embellish contact. And uh, you know I think that's kind of that's my running theory is that WSU guards. Uh, they actually play through contact, and uh, it almost hurts them because they don't get foul calls because they're not, you know, throwing back their head and embellishing contact. They're trying to play through it. You know, guys like Xavier Bell, Harlan Beverly, and then uh, you know other guards that I've seen in conference, the ones that really sell it and know how to to sell those foul calls. You know, those are the ones that are being rewarded with you know free throw after free throw. So uh, there, I think there is something to it, and uh, yeah, free throws are going to be a big part. Uh, tomorrow night at Coke Arena, you know, if WSU can keep them off the foul line, you know, usually around, you know, you try to target, you know, 16 or fewer, uh, you know, I think that's that would uh, allow them to have uh, success uh, against Tulsa in this rematch.
0: Switching gears, going to Wichita State baseball, a new era officially underway as the Shockers take two of three down in Little Rock, Arkansas. Wichita State opens the season with an 18 to five win. Seth Stroh at a 490 foot bomb. Shockers most runs in a season opener since 1991. Then they followed up with a 14 nothing shutout. Tough loss on the final day, five to four, but if they take two of three for the entire season, they're going to be just fine. Now, they do have a big test coming up this weekend. They have the Jacks College Baseball Classic with ranked Virginia, Auburn, ranked Iowa, so we'll see just how good the Wichita State team is. But what about this start for Brian Green? Not bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that was a big series win. Little Rock was, you know, preseason favorite to win their conference, so that's a you know, pretty difficult opponent to open up the season with, especially on a team where – you know, you really didn't really have a uh, any idea of like what to expect because there's so many newcomers, first year head coach. Uh, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So to to open up with, you know, two offensive explosions like they had those first two days, and you know, pretty good pitching performances as well. So very encouraging start. But like you said, you know, the competition is going to go way up. Uh, it's kind of like the Shocker softball tournament this last weekend uh, where they they went up against nationally ranked opponents and. Uh, they got a, a big one down there, and I think WSU baseball probably has the same mindset. You know, they're going to go in there, nothing to lose. You know, they'll play free, and uh, they're going to be the underdogs in all three of those games. So I think uh, they're taking the, the same mindset. You go down there, uh, you have nothing to lose, and if you come away with one, that's going to be a big, uh, a big one for Shocker baseball. So that's, uh, that's a very good tournament, and uh, I think that's the mindset you have to have is that, you know, this is a, a team on, you know, rebuilding. So at this point, you know, I think you're satisfied if you just come away with a, with a win uh, from that tournament.
0: Yeah, and 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 as you brought up, you already just brought up that, the softball deal. Now they got a, another game that they just added. They added a game against Iowa. They needed to add one because of the four games that were canceled, and then they added another one at Texas A&M Commerce later on. All right, before I let you get going – the NBA All Star Weekend has come and gone. Did you watch any of the action for the NBA All Star Weekend?
1: I did not watch the game itself. I tuned in for the the three point contest, so I thought that was that's always the highlight.
0: <laughs> well, Steph Curry, I mean, that was kind of unique, right? I mean, there there could be some legit interest in that going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with yeah, Sabrina, I mean, she had uh, just as many as uh, you know Damian uh, Damian Lillard uh, who won the three point contest, so I think. Uh, that was that was the highlight of the weekend, in my opinion. You know, watching those two go at it, and then you know, Caitlin Clark is uh, you know coming up, so I'm sure they'll probably incorporate her down the down the road. So uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that was a really uh, interesting twist, and I thought that was uh, really fun to watch those two go at it.
0: Yeah, agreed. I thought that was a cool thing. All right, Taylor. Well, appreciate your your time as always. Enjoyed the the games this week, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Sounds good. That's Taylor Eldridge from the Wichita Eagle. He's presented to you by You Build It, Wichita. Coming up here in just a little bit, we do have Royals Sound coming from spring training in Surprise, Arizona. We have boots on the ground there with Saran Petro and a guy by the name of Jack Johnson that you all know and love. So we'll get to that audio in just a little bit. When we return... That's what we'll have. But before we get to that point, let us open up the phone lines again. 316 669 4996. 316 669 4996. Wichita State and Tulsa coming up tomorrow. It is an eight o'clock tip. I have a pair of tickets if you would like to see the Golden Hurricane and the Shockers. Again, it's tomorrow at eight o'clock from inside the Roundhouse. If you would like to go, I need you to be caller number three at 316-669-4996. If you have won something in the previous 30 days, do not call, please. I do have a list on my end, but I know Kyle doesn't have it on his end. So if you are interested and haven't won anything in the past 30 days, give us a call at 316-669-4996. Wichita State and Tulsa tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Call in now, 316-669-4996. When we come back, Royal Sound from Surprise, Arizona. You'll hear from some players and Matt Cotrero next here on The Pulse. See, at least you're consistent Play NFL music. So open up our number two. And you bring in some Jay Z for the second one. I know how you operate. I got a big piece and- of paper taped to the computer. Says play Jay Z. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know. It's it's you remember? It's the PSA. So allow me to reintroduce myself. That's usually what I say in our number two. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, it's That's been a while. You don't, you, don't, you don't fill in on a regular basis, so I don't expect you to know all that stuff. Jack Johnson it, would expect more of me. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. Hey, 316-669-4996. That is the number if you want to win Wichita State Tulsa tickets. A pair of tickets to tomorrow's game, 8 o'clock tip. It's free tickets, man. Call in now, 316 669 49.96. 316-669-4996. Call Kyle now so you can go see the Shockers and the Golden Hurricane tomorrow, courtesy of us. So call in now so you can win a pair of tickets for tomorrow. And we'll email you the tickets. It's very, very simple. Don't have to come on by. We'll just shoot you an email. Very simple. Okay. So we have some sound coming from, uh, Surprise, Arizona. The Kansas City Royals are gearing up for another season. Our very own Jack Johnson is there, and he had a chance to speak with Tyler Gentry, Michael Garcia, and Nick Lofton. But first, Matt Quichero spoke to different media members. Here is Matt Quatrero for the Kansas City Royals from Surprise, Arizona. Uh, you know, I want to ask
2: about the, um, the offense last year, especially with situational hitting. Um, how, how do you feel like you guys did... With runners in scoring position
3: last year, and what are you focusing on uh, with that specifically this spring? Yeah, I mean, I think it was peaks and valleys last year. You know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, as you might expect with inexperienced players, and um, not not that experienced players execute all the time in runners in scoring position, but I think you slow your heartbeat down a little bit in those in those spots and understand that ultimately the, the pressure's on the pitcher, um, and I think you kind of let the game come to you a little bit more. So, I mean, we're going to bring it, as a point of focus, but it's also not something that necessarily you just pound, 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 and all of a sudden it, it works. I mean, you look through the year after year, you're going to see guys that go through ups and downs and regardless of their experience level, but uh, more so it's just being aware of the situations and understanding that it doesn't always have to be damage. It can be getting on base. It can be putting pressure on guys in different ways.
2: When you do work, what, what does that look like in, in drills or um whatever, if you talk about
3: it. Yeah, I think we're going to make it as individual as possible. Some guys are going to thrive more on the, the pressure of the drill. Some guys are going to thrive more on just getting their swing in a little different spot. Some guys are going to just do it through talking about it. You know, like everything, we try to individualize all of it to the best of our ability.
4: When you see the work that the pitching staff has put in with like the track man and the ATRONS, the um, analytics, how impactful has that been last
2: season and Where do you think you can go this season as
3: well? Well, it's a constant evolution. I mean, you never catch up with the industry, right? I mean, there's always somebody that's going to be pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. For us, we're trying to get to a point where the guys understand what benefits each and every one of them, and now we're adding a lot of guys from outside of the organization that are going to give us a new understanding of ways to help them that we may not be using. So it's always always a give and take, but I think without it, you know, you trust your eyes, and there's a certain point to that and a certain feel for the game. But as far as developing pitches, I mean, that, that stuff's essential for that.
4: How has that changed from the last couple of years, <clears throat> you know, when you just had to, like you said, trust your eyes and what you're seeing out there on the mound, and now you got the video that you can use in between starts and innings?
3: Well, I'd say it's more than a couple of years. I mean, that's been going on for a while now, and, you know, these guys, almost all of them have off-season places they go where they, they use those those tools so it's really a matter of just us educating ourselves to get to a point where we can help each guy like i said on the hitting too individually what
2: did you think of michael garcia's uh, off season just in
3: winter ball yeah it was amazing i mean if he'd had enough plate appearances he would have led the league in hitting um, a lot like freddie from the year before you know i mean i guess he could have been in the running for mvp down there and the clutch hitting he had just the the energy that he played with in the the games i saw on tv and the clips that were out there um, and talking to him throughout the offseason, the passion um, that he plays with down there is incredible.
2: He said he called you uh, to maybe get get permission to go a little bit early so he could go help the team out. Is that?
3: Yeah, he wanted to start on the same day as Acuna, okay. um, and so I mean, I, having been down there, I understand like the how dramatic that is when those guys play for the first time, and they can drum up you know more fans come in, and the ener- it is—it's incredible energy, and to have both of those guys and I think Alcides was playing at the same time and it's just it's just kind of an unrivaled atmosphere. Do you feel like that gives him momentum
2: coming into the spring training I mean just having that much fun down there and playing with friends. And friends?
3: I don't think Mikel struggles that <laughs> fun playing I mean that's his thing he loves to play and you know you can't take that away from him and there's guys tons of guys over the years I mean he wants to play every day he wants to play all year round you know so you have to trust him that he knows what he's doing and how he feels and he can communicate that with us. And then, you know, on the subject of looking the guys working out the different
0: you know places that they go there was a time that that was kind of like you know i don't know taboo but guys would kind of sneak off and do that now it's like you just said it's like part of the industry how do you manage what they're doing that that program or do you just find out what program works for them and then incorporate it into what you're doing here
3: does that uh, make I sense as mean, opposed yeah, yeah, to you're yeah. not conflicting or? yeah i mean all winter our whether it's a pitcher or a hitter our guys are in communication with those facilities and because it is so common now, most of the time, there's a, I, I can only think of a couple examples of places that don't really want to communicate back towards us. Um, and that helps, you know, because no one of us in any camp in this, in this industry has every answer, right? And so whatever hits the player the best and what helps them, now you'll see some of them will go one place this year, try another place next year. So no one person anywhere has just all the answers for everybody, but that communication helps us all learn how how is 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 that industry kind of coming together and like
0: finding a path you know like at one point tom house was like this renegade rogue guy out there on his own and nobody was doing anything that he was doing are all these places kind of finding what works
3: and is is it kind of? I don't know, be more streamlined to one thing for everybody, or is everybody having just a drastically different program? I mean, I don't think I could speak to what every single facility does or what their beliefs are. I mean, I know that when we get a guy at a certain place, they speak with our pitching guys or our hitting guys to, again, do what we think and they think is best for the individual player. And that's a broad scope because it's strength and conditioning, there's nutrition, agencies have places, you know, so it's just a bigger industry than it was 20, 30 years ago. There's obviously way more of those facilities and the openness and the learning goes both ways.
4: How do you plan on handling a guy like Nelson Velasquez this year? You know, he <laughs> had such the the power stretch last year in the short time he was in Kansas city. Is he going to be a full-time DH platoon a little bit, or is he going to spend some time in the outfield as well?
3: Oh, he's definitely going to play in the outfield. I mean, he's a young player. I would, I would not want to shoehorn, shoehorn him into strictly a DH spot. Um, and I think that's the way we feel about a lot of our guys. Yeah. No, this isn't exactly easy for you to answer, being that you weren't here three years ago. But with Bobby, the jump that he made from that first year to the second year, what are some of the things you think helped him be able to take that that first year unevenness and turn it into what it is become? Well, I think the stability of knowing that he was going to play short every day was a big thing for him. You know, he had bounced around the year before, and um for whatever reasons they've made to to do that i'm you know i don't know all the details of that but jj was clear last year we're gonna we're gonna play bobby at short and see what he can do and and hope he grows into the player that that we think he can be so that's that's helpful obviously and just knowing who you are as a player getting into a second year in the big leagues is usually a big difference for guys you know we see some guys go in a sophomore slump and then some in a sophomore surge like is there a way to avoid the slump or see any commonalities uh, when guys kind of struggle in that second year versus the guys who really thrive in that second year yeah i'd have to do a lot more digging into <laughs> that to speak to the, the grander picture but i mean just thinking about bobby's year i mean it didn't start out great on the offensive side you know and then his he made some adjustments he he got more um selective with what he swung out especially early in the count he got to, he got to the high fastball more consistently he used the whole field more consistently um you know, and then the confidence just grew and grew and grew because he really increased his numbers a lot from the midway point, which is really hard to do. Yeah, because I was I mainly cover the Reds, so for the yeah. Ellie De La Cruz just seeing those kind of, I mean, not like you can compare Bobby Witt to too many people, but Ellie, <laughs> there's some similarities. Yep. Yeah, the there. athleticism, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where it's going with that. Thank you, Matt. Why is Bobby the guy around whom this franchise should build? Well, I mean, he, it's funny. Just seeing him come in here every day, it's such a special persona. You know, it's humble, but it's confident. People respect him. And I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times that when when a guy like Bobby earns the respect of a guy like Salvi so quickly in his career, that kind of speaks to the person he is and what people, the reason you would want to build around him. And, you know, you give those long-term contracts – those, there's a ton of risk in that, right? But the organization, rightfully so, in my opinion, feels like those risks are very minimal with a guy like Bobby because of his upbringing and the way he handles himself and all the. He doesn't. He doesn't. He sidesteps those derailers or those landmines pretty well. Sweet. Thanks, I got yes. I got, one. I got one oh, we go. more. Um, I'm at
5: it. <laughs> you know, I, I think scouts sometimes look for guys with a so-called edge, right? Bobby's like the
3: nicest <laughs> human being
5: around. How, how do you
4: make up for a lack of edge?
3: Well, I, I mean, I think that's a fine line because he's a very nice person, but there's an edge when he goes out on the field. He wants to be the best player out there. And, you know, unlike almost every other one of us, he's probably always been the best player out there at whatever level he's been at. So now his edge is proving to himself and to everyone else that he's got – that next level that he can be the best at this level f- for years to come. So there's an edge there, but it's, it's, it's not the same, you know, and, and again, you wouldn't want every guy on your team to have the same personality on or off the field. So he's been, he's going to be balanced out by a lot of the other guys as well.
0: All right. That's Matt Quatrero from earlier today. Lots of stuff that he addressed there with Jack Johnson, Saran Petro and others like that last little bit there on Bobby Witt Jr. talking about how nice of a dude he truly is. Well, the guy will probably be, I guess, nicer. Would he get paid that type of amount? Surely you're a nicer person? I mean, money does change people. It could make him for the worse, I suppose. But he's expected to make this huge step this year. And that was the thing last year with him. He did start slow, but then he figured some things out. And we all had a feeling that, Kansas City would entertain the idea of locking him down to a long term contract. And boy, did they. They absolutely did that for sure. So that's Matt Quattrero from Surprise Arizona. We have three players that Jack Johnson talked to Tyler Gentry, Michael Garcia, and Nick Lofton. Let's start with Tyler Gentry, who was, he had a great finish last year in AAA. Omaha. He had a a 13 game stretch from August 23rd to September 8th, where he had 14 hits, 10 RBI, and a 9.67 OPS. He also had 13 walks to nine strikeouts in that span, exhibiting that the Memphis native can be patient at the plate. He was selected by the Royals, 76 overall in the 2020 MLB draft and he has swiftly progressed through the farm system. He only played in 44 high-A games in 2021 due to a knee injury, but in 2022, that was a season that saw him post the season worthy of the organization's George Brett Award. So he's starting the rise, and he's right there on the cusp of being a part of the Kansas City Royals on a regular basis. Here is Jack Johnson with Tyler Gentry. (laughs)
4: Oh, <laughs> We're here with Tyler Gentry here in Surprise, Arizona, at Royal Spring Training. Tyler, uh, first things first, tell me what you've been working on this offseason in preparation uh, for these next few weeks.
5: Uh, a lot of machine work this offseason, probably the most I've ever done. Just every day I'm either hitting velocity off the machine or hitting a nasty breaking ball from either side, lefty or righty. And that's what I did pretty much every day this offseason. So it uh, feels a little bit better. The, the first couple of ABs I had, live ABs I had yesterday. And so I think a lot of that is from the machine work. Now, last year, the power really started to come around for
4: you at all levels. You know, what what can you point to that kind of led to that? Was it more of
5: just bat speed? Was you working on that type of power, tapping into it a little bit more? It was uh, mostly just me figuring out my swing. Uh, it took me until probably halfway through last year to get my swing to how I wanted it to. and. Uh, all well, my swings going good. I'm hitting with power to all fields, and so that's kind of when uh, when I started to hit for powers. When I got the swing figured out and felt comfortable driving, to all fields.
4: When you're on the cusp of the big leagues like this, and you know, you're right there knocking on the door, uh, what is that like? You know, to move through all the levels. You know, college ball, high school, everything, and to be right at this point, what is that experience like?
5: Uh, I mean, you try not to think about it too much. It's still just baseball and you, you know, it's exciting when you're in big league camp and you're around a bunch of guys that have been in the big leagues for years and they know what it takes. And so you just try to learn from them and see what they do and, you know, try your best to, to compete with them and try to beat them. And so that's uh, really my mentality is try to get better every day and just try to learn from the guys. And
4: we know you can play all three outfield positions here. Which one feels more at home to you the most comfortable?
5: Uh, I, get, I played right field the most growing up, and uh, but thankfully last year I got a lot of reps in uh, left field toward the end of the year, so I got a lot more comfortable with that. So I, I'd probably say right field is where I'm most comfortable, but I've gotten a, a lot more comfortable in left.
4: And if there's one more thing you want to work on in this camp, or maybe just throughout this season, what would it be?
5: Uh, just get my swing back to how how I like it and driving it to the opposite field because that's usually when I know that things are going good and the rest will take care of itself is when I'm letting the ball get deep and driving it to right center. Tyler, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.
0: Here we go, Tyler Gentry with our very own Jack Johnson on the cusp of making the big league roster. Nick Lofton has been a part of the big league roster Nick Lofton, he did return to Omaha to open the 2023 season in 8, 82 games for A Omaha. He batted .273, 44, and .444, and four hundred forty four with 14 homers and 56 RBI. On September 1st, he was selected to the 40-man roster and promoted to the major leagues for the very first time. Nick Lofton with our very own Jack Johnson from Surprise, Arizona.
4: We're here with Nick Lofton down here in Surprise, Arizona for Royal Spring Training Camp. Nick, let, let's go back to when you made your debut last year. You didn't have just one position you had to worry about. You're playing third, you're playing first. You also played the outfield, you played short at Baylor. You know, what is that like when you maybe look at the lineup card and you don't know where you're playing that one night?
2: Yeah, it, uh, definitely it's uh, something I had to get used to uh, coming from Baylor and being a shortstop primarily, but it's uh, it keeps me on my toes every day. And uh, it doesn't keep me... It, I don't get complacent because I know every single day is a mystery of where I'm going to be at and it makes it exciting when I look at this uh, lineup and just seeing where I'm going to be at that day. your debut was against Boston if I'm not mistaken there and one of your first hits I
4: believe it was your first hit about a couple of feet from leaving the yard there walk me through that moment back then when the ball leaves the bat and you're like my first hit might actually be the park here one of the biggest parks in the American League
2: yeah definitely uh, realized how big it was right away Uh, but coming from Omaha and Triple-A where that ball's probably gone out at at any time of the day yeah, I, I, thought I, I thought I had it, I'm going to be honest, uh, but uh, just very thankful that I was able to get that first hit out of the way right
4: away. Now, when you play this many positions, you know which one feels it most at home to you? I know you were a shortstop in college, as you said, but is there maybe one that you kind of didn't know would feel so comfortable?
2: Yeah, I'd probably say third base, man. Uh, there's something that uh, just being on the left side of the infield, it mm-hmm. just feels comfortable to me, but honestly, just being in the dirt. Uh, being anywhere in the dirt feels really comfortable to me And uh, like I said, I'm really, uh, I've really taken on the role of the utility guy, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. You've
4: kind of become this
2: fan favorite so
4: quickly here in Kansas City. I'm sure you've seen, you know, when you were down in Omaha, it's like, get this guy up to Kansas City, man. What's the rush on this? And what is it like for you, you know, to put in all that work to move through the minor leagues, and then you've got people, at the big league level, fans, of the big league level, going, we need to get Nick Lofton up here now.
2: Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, I'm very thankful for the fan base that has supported me through it all, through the ups and downs of, of the grind of the minor league lifestyle. And i uh, very thankful to, just for the opportunity to just be a part of uh, a special team and a special group of guys that I believe have a really, really big chance of making something special, uh, not just this year, but the years to come. Nick, if there's
4: one thing you've really tried to work on this offseason, what has that been?
2: Uh, honestly, uh, it's kind of been uh, just Getting comfortable at first base. I think that was kind of the biggest one. Uh, that was one of the first posi- or newest position that uh, I learned. I didn't play it at all growing up. So my first uh, experience at first base was in AAA and three games before I got called up. So uh, I was getting comfortable at first base and then also kind of just refining some things in my swing, uh, trying to make it as uh, complete as possible to the point where I can just Make the same move throughout 162 games and not have to really worry about mechanics. So, uh, just trying to make sure that I can dial that in and uh, uh, make it something that just flows naturally and, and allows me to put myself in the best possible position to be successful at the plate. Nick, thanks so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: All right, that's Nick Lofton with Jack Johnson. Last but not least, we need to get to Michael Garcia. Matt Quatrero really liked his off-season. He looks pretty good and I think Jack Johnson was looking elsewhere and he heard the loudest sound of a bat all spring training and he turned and he looked and it was Michael Garcia. Here is Michael Garcia.
4: We're here with Michael Garcia of the Kansas City Royals down here in Surprise, Arizona. Michael, you had quite the busy offseason playing down in the Winter League. What was that like for you? Uh, amazing, man. I
5: played with all my family there, so I feel great. And I play with my cousin around Cunha and Aziz. And Just enjoy every day and play hard to help the team win, you know. Yeah, we kind of saw a little bit of your
4: personality there, having a lot of fun down there. I'm sure when playing with lots of family, that's going to do it. But is that the type of energy that we can expect this year in Kansas City?
5: Yes, sir. I just bring the energy to my teammates and try to win a lot of games to for a play, uh, playoff. And that's what i do. That's what I'm going to do this year, so a lot of energy.
4: Is there anything this offseason that you've really tried to work on? I know you went from playing in the regular season here in Kansas City, jumped right into the Winter League in Venezuela. But did you have any time to try to work on some new things?
5: Uh, I was working in my body when we play at home. I uh, uh, lived a lot uh, work in when we play in the row, we can do a lot of things because the row is too long. And just when, I, when it was time, I tried to do a lot of work out. Now you were a shortstop, and then
4: you move over to third base and become one of the best defensive third basemen in the American League. Can you pick up pretty much any position with that much ease?
5: Um, no, I just it's a challenge. You know, I never played third, and also helped me a lot, and Bigley and Brian Goins and. That's what I play with third base, man. Thanks so much, Michael.
0: Thank you. Hi, Michael. Yeah, he's going to start at third base for the Kansas City Royals this year. So we'll see how that progresses throughout the season. Of course, the season's not here quite yet, but spring training is officially underway, and we'll have more and more reports coming from spring training. Jack Johnson is there tomorrow. He'll be back on Thursday we hope that we can have Jack on the show tomorrow at 1.25, and I think he'll supply some more audio slash interviews as well. So we'll kind of place those throughout the day. I'll be on tomorrow filling in for Shane from 12 to 4, so we have a lot of stuff to get into, and it'll be a kind of a long day, but looking forward to tomorrow. Should be a lot of fun. When we come back, it is a Tuesday. That means it's a take-two Tuesday. What does that mean to Kyle Collier. I don't know. We'll find out when we come back to wrap up a Tuesday edition of the Pulse. You know, when you have a long intro like that, you got to let it ride. Can't interrupt it. And I may or may not have been doing air guitar. May or may not have been doing air I guitar. I was doing
5: the drums, man.
0: Okay, good. Who had the bass covered? Hopefully, you, the listener, had the bass covered. Only a couple minutes ago here on the Pulse on ESPN Wichita Mini 2.3 FM. Coming up tonight. We do have the Friends Basketball Show. You'll hear from Dean Jaderston, the head of women's basketball coach at Friends University. Quite the season for Friends, and you'll find out why coming up at six. Before that, we do have Soren Petro with a program broadcasting live from Surprise, Arizona. He's been getting some other people, he's had a variety of. Of players from the Kansas City Royals. I wonder if Bobby Witt Jr. and maybe a few others will stop on by. Who knows? So you got to listen. Coming up here in just a little bit. Have you ever done a Take Two Tuesday before, Kyle Call you? Know your what per- I-, I think I have, but only what maybe once, maybe just maybe once. once. Yeah. Well, that means you say, "Give me your top two you know, pizza toppings or something like that. That's how it is. That's oh, what a Take okay. Two is. So I, gotcha. I get to pick two. Yeah, I get to take two. So, what you got? All right. What's a a topic up the top of your head where I got to pick just two? We did uniforms yesterday, which that was fun.
3: Okay, I got you. Let's
0: think NFL scouting combine and the events that take place. What would be your two best NFL uh, drills that you'd score the highest in? (laughs) So, here's the funny thing, Kyle. (laughs) Shane and I already did NFL Draft Combine stuff when it was in Kansas City. When they had everything set up, we did the 40, which was brutal for both of us. <laughs> Shane almost tore up his knee. I shouldn't say almost. He basically tore up his knee. Then we, we had a, a passing drill where we had two, two things for passing. One was accuracy. The other one was almost sort of like you did it at the 5-yard line, 10-yard line, 15, and 20, where you're just kind of lobbing them into wherever. There was another one where you had to throw it past a defender, which that was a little challenging. And we did do a kick. We did do field goals. We did do that. And Shane ended up winning the overall challenge, which is totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. I got to say, though, <laughs> out of the ones that, that we could do – that won't require surgery, Um I mean, I could probably, gosh. But see, here's the thing. I have long arms, so, like, bench press, like, really screws me because I got to go farther. And Shane's in the same category. Tall people, it's like, ah, it's so far. So I can't beat you in a bench pressing competition. Squat would be all right, but that's not what they judge you on. <laughs> You're talking about like vertical and stuff like that, so I don't know, man. That's a that's a toughie. I would I would probably say, sure, bench press is one of them because you got to do that, and then maybe even the shuttle. I don't know. That's probably what I'll go with. I like it. <laughs> I can tell you, my two worst would be the vertical and broad jump. Uh, I'm not a leaper. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'll See, be- all all of my vertical, my the inches just went to my body yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's why. that's how it worked it's just i just i was longer than most people all right well that does it for us here today we'll talk to you tomorrow i'll be filling in for shane at 12 so we'll be talking to you tomorrow from 12 to 4 right here on Wichita sports leader espn wichita many
3: 2.3 fm